Welcome to another episode of the Thrills and Chills podcast brought to you by Sharebird and Clue. This is a show all about establishing product marketing and being the first product marketer. I'm your host, J.D. Prater. And today, we're going to be meeting with William Chia. He's the director of product marketing at Asano about his journey of establishing product marketing at GitLab and now at Asano. But before you do, you know we got to give a shout out to our sponsor, Clue. That is Clue with a K. They're the leading competitive enablement platform for product markers to drive revenue for their business. Clue helps you collect, curate, and distribute competitive insights to enable sales and revenue teams to win more deals. Don't just compete. Compete to win with Clue. William, thanks again for for coming on the show. This is season three of Thrills and Chills. Really excited because you're now Director of Product Marketing at Asano, which we're going to get into. But prior to that, you spent four years at GitLab. Before that, almost three years at Twilio. But here's the real credential I'm interested in. You're a black belt. Can we (laughs) talk about being a black belt real quick? We can. So do you do any martial arts? I mean, I did back in when I was a kid, like in the 90s. I mean, there was Ninja Turtles. There was like, what was it? Three Ninjas. And so I worked my way up. I think I was a yellow belt with a green tip. Okay. Okay. <laughs> hey, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm a first Don. It's like a first degree black belt in uh, Olympic style Taekwondo. And I started as a teenager kind of like maybe a little bit older than a kid. I started as a teenager, did teenage in college, and then didn't do it for years and years, got to like blue. And they didn't do it for years and years, and then came back with my kids and, and did Taekwondo with all of my kids, and I earned my black belt. And then as part of the career story, when I moved to the Bay Area to work for Twilio, I lived in the East Bay, as you do. Yeah. And, you know, as you do, you ride the BART. So you have like an hour, hour and a half commute into the city and then back. So I basically traded Taekwondo for BART. When I, when I moved to SF. So I didn't train for a long time. But then I got this awesome job at GitLab, which was pre-pandemic, was the world's largest all-remote company. And in a lot of ways, they wrote the book on remote working environments. And a lot of things shift when you work all remote. And so one of them is, even though I still have really great friends that are colleagues, you start to have local social circles that you rely on a lot more. And so I went back to martial arts. And when I earned my first version of the black belt is what they call a club belt. It basically means like that school certified me, but it wasn't recognized anywhere. So when I went back to Taekwondo, when I joined GitLab, I went to an official school that was certified by the Korean headquarters. It's called the Kukiwon, the Korean headquarters. And they got my black belt certified. So I have a certified number in the Korean headquarters. It will never happen, but if I wanted to compete, you can compete with that. But the thing I like to say is they ship you like a little card for your wallet where it has your black belt <laughs> number on it. So I'm, I'm an official card carrying black belt. Yeah. It gives all new meaning to your black card, right? It's no longer just the Amex, like the, the black Amex. This is like your black belt, like the real black card. It's a different black card for the wallet. <laughs> awesome, man. What a great story. Like what a fun thing to do because I'm sure this has also probably helped in some ways with your product marketing career, right? I can see the concentration aspect. I see even just like getting rid of stress. So I'm a big believer in having some extra curricular activities 
especially if I can get a little physical with it too. Yes, 100%. When, you know, your campaign doesn't ship or <laughs> we like, when all your ideas get shot down and you can't move forward, you're blocked on the thing, then you go and kick a bunch of stuff. It's yeah. like, you know, it makes you feel better. So. Well, I mean, what amazing companies to work for. I mean, Twilio obviously went public. GitLab just went public. And I mean, you got that four years in there. So I'm glad to see you got that 100%, got that vest in just in time. So that's really awesome. But more than that, and I know that that's a like great experience. We'll dive into it. But I know that you were also the first product marketer that came into GitLab. And here's why that's like really cool and special to me. I love GitLab's docs and what you guys put out there. So for those listening that don't know, GitLab puts everything out. Not everything. I mean, I would say like what? I mean, you'll give me some percentage. I'm going to say like 90% of it is out there. You can see their positioning. You'll see messaging. You'll see their personas. You'll see their marketing plans. It's out there. Anyone can see it. And then like, there's some things you need to every now and then find myself clicking on all need to ask for permission. And I'm too afraid to ask for permission because I was like, oh, look, JD's in here and he's not part of the org. Who is this guy? So if you're ever wondering and looking around, go check there. It's amazing. And here's the cool thing. William, you probably wrote most of those docs or at least was heavily involved in those. So just know you are helping me on a daily basis now. (laughs) Yeah, that's a huge compliment and an honor. And I was part of a lot of folks that have contributed to it. it. They call it the GitLab Handbook. And it is super unique. Their company culture is what they call public by default. So something has, like, ideally, you're supposed to make everything public. Like all the stuff you write down, your go-to-market plan, you make that public, even the project planning. So when I was working there, we used GitLab, but it's kind of like Jira issues or like Mm -hmm. Asana or whatever your project management is. That's public too. As long as it's not like a product launch or a partner thing or some reason, you got to keep it private. Even like the day-to-day work, you can actually go and you can comment on it. So even during my time at GitLab, I had random people ping me about my messaging document and give me a bunch of feedback. (laughs) And they were like, I think you should position it like this. And I was like, cool. Thank you, man. This is so helpful. And it's not like make or break, but it, it was kind of a cool thing. The idea that people outside of your org could weigh in on and give you feedback. So it's, it's a two-way street. Like as much as I've had a ton of people like they ping me on LinkedIn and they're like, oh, I saw your persona videos or whatever. And I'm super happy. I love that part of it. But I also received a lot from it. People gave me feedback that I would not have gotten otherwise, especially internal to the company. People in other parts of the org where normally they wouldn't poke in and say like, what is marketing doing? But because it's all accessible, you get a broader set of feedback and it's um, super helpful. Oh, I can only imagine because I think a lot of people don't realize when you write things down, it's so much easier to scale, right? Whenever you're not reliant on a meeting or being in the meeting, right? It's like so many times someone will go on vacation, someone is sick. And if you're not in the meeting, then you didn't know about it. But if it's written down and it's documented, you can actually go faster. You can be more agile in your processes. So I'm a huge fan of writing things down. I'm now working on that process myself. I think in order to write things down, you also need a good reading culture. And so I'm working on getting that reading culture more than just the writing culture. But I'm actually curious on the other, the flip side of that to like, how did that accountability, right? It's now public. Was that stressful? Man, that is such a good question. It wasn't for me. 
because I'm hyper extroverted. I'm like the yeah. kind of person when I'm on stage and there's 10,000 people in the audience, I'm like, why, is, why isn't there 20,000 people? Right? <laughs> That's just how I react. But not everyone's built that way. Certainly a lot of folks that join, they'll always like, so I was like, when I joined GitLab, there was 200 employees. When I left, there was 1,500. Wow. So there was a 7X growth. And so I saw tons and tons of people come on and I onboarded tons of people. And people would always join GitLab and they'd be like, oh, I want to join because I love the transparency. Every single person told me that. In fact, it was really interesting. One of the things I contributed to before I left was one of our strategy people was trying to quantify the ROI of transparency. Wow. And so I shared with her some of my stories of like, hey, just in recruiting alone, literally every single person I've interviewed, every person we've hired, they always say transparency brought them to GitLab. And so it's good for all these other reasons. They show up and they're like, I love transparency. And I'm like, here's the thing. Transparency is amazing for thee, but not for me. Like <laughs> when you get to see everyone else's work, that's wonderful. When you have to put your stuff out there, that is really hard. And it does take some getting used to, especially it's coupled with this other value at GitLab, which is iteration. Yeah. So the idea is like, don't wait to put it out there till it's all baked put the half-baked stuff out. And that is really hard, especially at Twilio. I was used to this hyper high caliber, world-class marketing org. Like everything was put, I was very polished. I was super proud of it. I was really proud to be a Twilio marketer. And then all of a sudden it came to GitLab and I just created the very first version of this thing. And they're like, yeah, make it public. And I'm like, no, this is crap. This is like so terrible. So that was kind of the battle I had. It was almost like an embarrassment that you have to get over your embarrassment. And they, I think they call it like low, you have to have a low level of shame. Like, <laughs> and we got no shame here. This is the early version and it's gonna get better. We're gonna iterate and make it better. But what's cool about that is just like with software, like the concept of agile software development, where if you wait a year to ship a product and you never get customer feedback, you will unequivocally ship the wrong thing. Yeah. So yeah. modern software teams, you know, every two weeks they're shipping new stuff because they want that customer feedback. Well, it's the same thing with, you can apply that to marketing. If the first few sentences of your messaging doc is out and available to people and you're way off base and you get that feedback right away, that's so much better than spending a week wordsmithing and lovingly crafting a thing, but it's fundamentally wrong. Yeah. Right. So by sharing the thing early, you get that early feedback and then you're directionally correct. It's hard to do. Yes. But there's like a lot of benefits to it. Yeah. And I think a lot of this too, it's a mindset of knowing that I'm putting it out there, knowing that it's not done, knowing that I'm going to iterate and also just knowing I'm going to get feedback, but don't be defensive with the feedback, right? Like obviously sometimes you get feedback and you're kind of that first reaction for some people, I know at times, maybe I'm talking about myself here, I could be a little defensive. And I'm like, what do you mean like this, this, and this, right? How dare you? What do you know? And it, instead of just like absorbing that feedback and just kind of like, hey, we're just iterating. This is kind of the first draft. Hey, it's going to get better. And I think it's just that process of helping them understand that too. It's great for all around. But again, it's a mindset. I and mean, I think anyone yeah. can do it, especially when it's baked into the culture and everyone's doing it. It just kind of rises everybody or to the top there. So... I'm curious with GitLab, you came in being the first PMM. Talk to me about what that was like in those early days. Yeah. So there were certainly a lot of folks in marketing and even a product marketer, I think early on in GitLab that did a bunch of foundational stuff. But 
when I joined, I was the only person on the product marketing team and things were pretty darn nascent there. You know, there wasn't like messaging frameworks. We didn't have fleshed out personas. There wasn't sales enablement was like non-existent. So what's kind of fun about that. And honestly, that's why I took the most recent gig I took again to go back to a smaller company where the just the stuff doesn't exist and you get to build it from scratch. It's a different job that you get to do on a daily basis where you're doing a ton of things and you're architecting them from scratch. That's a very different set of challenges than this thing is done well and we're scaling, we're trying to optimize, we're trying to do like, you know, small iterations. So certainly like, you know, for the first six months before we made the next hire, my hair was on fire. It was very, very busy. You know, it was that kind of environment, but it was really enjoyable. I love bringing the thing out of nothing. And, and I got to do a lot of that. Yeah. That's what makes being that first PMM personality, I would say. If you like doing these things, if you like foundation building, setting, getting those processes built out, knowing this is going to take time, like, yes, you can put together a messaging framework fairly quickly. But just know it's going to take time to then get that influence that you want around it within your messaging and positioning. You're going to have to go shop it around internally. So I'm with you. I'm a builder. I love being a starter. I love creating things. I love process. One of the things I also just like is building a team while the company is building. And so I'm with you, man. Like, how does that compare now, right? So now you're a director of product marketing at Asano which is pretty a cool company. I'll, I'll let you give me the, the PMM version of the description, but I was checking it out. I was like, I can see how this would be really valuable. But tell me what about the company and maybe just quickly, because you've, you know, you've only been there for a few weeks. Like, what does the feel look? What, what does it feel like versus like GitLab? Yeah, yeah. So definitely a cool company. For me, it's a lot of fun. They do privacy and compliance. And that is a completely new industry for me. So I've been marketing to engineers and developer tools for a decade. And so now I'm in this new industry where our customer personas are like marketers who need to put like the cookie banner on the website. Yeah, that's right. And like lawyers and privacy compliance teams and even like customer support teams. There is a, as part of GDPR, if you're familiar with that, which we probably are all these days, there's all these regulations. There's this one in California, the CCPA, and there's over like 50 of them and they just, more of them keep sprouting up. And it's cool in two ways. One, because it's about keeping our stuff private, right? I think even as marketers, we want to have responsibility. And even though we love data and I like, you know, be an ad that follows you around is very, very effective, but I don't want to do that if you don't want that. Yeah. And I want you to be able to choose that that's okay. And, and sometimes I even like that or don't like that as a consumer, right? Sometimes I'm like, why are you selling me these like ridiculous ads? Or like, can you just figure out that I already bought that and just put <laughs> yeah. it off Yeah, kind of thing. So the, the idea is that the, the person should be able to make the choice. And so I think governments and regulatory bodies are waking up to this and they're saying privacy is important. And so now you got to comply with that and not everybody's a lawyer. And so it's solving a real pain point, something I'm excited about. And then Asano is also a B Corp, which means that part of their charter is for public good. And so they talk about it in terms of, you know, being about people over profits and valuing all stakeholders, users, employees, customers, and shareholders and investors. So anyway, all of that's a really cool environment and I'm excited to be there. 
I yes, am what, are you, what are you uh, yeah. tackling now, right? Coming into this role as a director now, really leading and heading the function. What are some things that are on your radar? Yeah, so it is a lot of fun. They are uh, Series A, and this is kind of what I was looking at. You know, they're a uh, 31-person company, Series A startup. Again, things are very, very foundational. So things I am already kind of digging into are like, what is the ideal customer profile? So like they're series A, they, you know, it's not like they're seed round. It's not, they're trying to figure things out. They're selling a lot of product, but like who exactly are selling it to and what is the go-to-market motion? That's the problem they need to solve. And I'm like, oh, hey, I can help you with that. You need somebody to figure out what the go-to-market motion is and who the ideal customer profile. And like, you want to go from a spread of, okay, like we're doing a bunch of things, but which are the most effective and where should we double down on those efforts? That's the kind of work that I'm doing right now. Super, super exciting work. So we're talking about things like the self-service funnel versus the sales-driven funnel. What are the demand gen channels that we kind of double down on? So it is very foundational. Yeah, I can relate to a lot of those things. I'm definitely doing a lot of that foundation building too. With I'm always curious because I'm a firm believer that we take the good stuff, right? Like past companies... I'm going to take that from there, right? So I was at AWS for a little bit. I'm going to take the good things that I learned there at Google for a little bit. I'm going to take those good things at Cora, take those good things. I'm curious, what are some of those good things that you're going to take with you from the GitLab and Twilio experiences, even, you know, even prior? Yeah, that is such a good question. And that I definitely operate that way. Actually, I just caught up with a mentor the other day. He was CMO when I first joined GitLab and I went through a few and I caught up with him recently. He said the same thing. He's like, now, okay, now I'm leading marketing at this other company. And he's like, I have all this other experience that I, he takes each one with him. <laughs> so one thing, so my first two mentors in marketing, I was an engineer, I was a technical person and they kind of sucked me into the marketing org. And my first mentor was uh, a woman named, at the time she was Angie Reed. Now she's Angie Sandroder. And she was like, I want you to come do product marketing. I was like, what's product marketing? And she's like, it's fun. Like you will like it. <laughs> and fun. I didn't even know what the job was. Basically, yeah. I just wanted to work with her because I respected her and her work. And then my other mentor was our VP of global marketing. Her name was Leslie Conway. And one of the things that Leslie did even early in my career is every press release we wrote, like I had to write the press release for the launch. And then we go sit in her office and we'd both open up face-to-face -face laptops and open the Google Doc and edit it together. So it was a face-to-face -face meeting, but we were both in the same Google Doc. And man, I learned, like, I still do that today. Like whenever I edit documents with anybody, I'll even be on a Zoom and we'll open up the messaging doc or whatever mm. and, and go through that. So all kinds of good stuff. Like I said, at Twilio, I learned from some of the best in the biz and I got to take a lot of that. At GitLab, certainly the culture, the remote aspects of it, writing stuff down, all of that is just now kind of part of how I operate. And so at Asano, every meeting I've been in, I take notes. I was on a sales call the other day and then the salesperson was like, wow, your notes are so great. Thank you. <laughs> and I, it did like, it just hit me like, oh, okay, this is kind of different. Not everybody has the culture of writing every single thing down. So this is something I took with me. Nice. I, I think those are all great. I love that one. I'm definitely going to try out that that uh, Zoom one-to-one -one aspect when doing some editing. So I'll take that one with me. I'll put it in my back pocket and I'll reach back out to you in a couple of months and see how it goes. But I'm curious with making this move over to Asano, right? So you're at GitLab. Obviously, 
you know you're prepping for the IPO. And that's a big deal in a company's history. I'm just curious, what drew you to Asano at such a pivotal point in the company's history? It must have been a really great opportunity. I understand we talked about the company, but how'd you know you were ready to kind of make that jump back into that Series A startup, being that first PMM again? Yeah, that's a great question. So I definitely had a unique privilege of, you know, growing a lot with Twilio and then going through IPO with them. And as I thought about the next step, I didn't want to go too early. So even in, earlier in my career, I was a part of this team. We were like, they call it a skunk works. It's yeah. basically like startup within the startup. We had our own PNL. It was a separate team. And I was the VP of marketing on a 14 person team. And I didn't want to do that because I feel like that's a different job figuring out just what versus like pouring gas on the fire. So one of the things that was important to me is that they had a fire going to pour gas on. And I think then personally, how I knew I was ready is there's kind of like internal and external checks. So one is, I think the internal is like when you're bored with what you're doing, right? When the kind of day-to-day -day you're like, nah, this is not as exciting. I can do it in my sleep and I'm, I'm hungry for more responsibility. And then the external is kind of like when you tell people or when they tell you. So at GitLab, I had tons of people that would tell me, They'd be like, oh, you would make it like an awesome director. Or they would even say like, oh, great job on this project. Like you were acting a director on this thing. And one of the mentors told me that. And so if you say to people like, oh, I'm thinking about kicking the jump up. Like I've managed a team, but I'm looking to go to director. If they're like, yes, you would be good at that. Those are usually good signals. And if the folks around you are saying like, ah, here are your gaps. I think those are usually good to listen to because then maybe you have some gaps. I certainly still have gaps and have at every stage of my career. And so it's usually good to not jump ahead of your skis. Yeah. And that's a really good point too. I, I think I want to like iterate a few things. It's also important to have some of that validation internally, but also that external validation from mentors and stuff. You've mentioned them a few times, just kind of like diving into that. You know, whenever you think about your career, establishing product marketing, being a product marketer, how have you leveraged your mentors to really help you? Yeah, I would not have a product marketing career without the folks that have poured into me. And I've been fortunate to have so many of them. Every manager I've had that I have been in a product marketing role that I've reported into has been phenomenal. And I've just been surrounded by a lot of great people. I will share that one, like one thing I've even started to do more recently, and some of it is due to kind of going up in tier. So when you're like an IC, when you're manager level, there's different stakes. And then Part of my thought process in going to like a director level position was I need more formal external mentors. So I, as a director, can't or shouldn't rely on my manager to be coaching me. Mm -hmm. I actually know at Asano, I am the product marketing expert in the company. I know it more than everybody else. And so I need an external coach. Right. There's certainly lots of things I can learn from everybody there on a lot of things. But that's kind of been a recent shift for me where I've started getting more folks that are, I don't work with that are coaching me. Yeah, I'm with you hundred percent. I'm lucky that I get this podcast to go and talk to amazing product marketers. It's so helpful. This podcast. <laughs> yes, this, this podcast. is, this, I was going to say, this is a great freaking resource. Like go yeah. and listen to all the episodes. <laughs> There's a bunch of senior people that are just telling you their stories. That I is, know. is invaluable. It is, you know, people ask me all the time, like, why start it? Why'd you do it? And I think when I was going through this, I found it to be a lonely, right? Like I had no one to really 
one like bounce ideas off or help validate, but also a lot of times you're just like, man, what do I do? But you can't really ask your manager and you can't really ask someone else because they're not in product marketing, they're not in the marketing org, they just don't really understand what you're asking. And so I think being able to hear other people's stories, it's like, oh, okay, cool. No one knows what's going on. No one has it figured out. Cool. Okay. Aside from that, what are some cool frameworks? What are some cool things that I should be doing and can be doing? So it's a great question. Now for you going into Asano, like what are some things that you're hoping that you can accomplish or what are some things that you're working on now, you know, kind of in Q4 that you're hoping will like roll out by end of quarter? Yeah, that's a great question. So like I mentioned, one of the things is I need to just roll out a formal personas segments and ICPs or ideal customer profiles. Well, there's a ton of um, there's a ton of artifacts and assets out there. So you can just go and get a, a couple of templates. And what's kind of nice is I've done this a, a bunch of times, but what I've realized is like, if you just kind of look at it, I, I say I like building things from scratch, but really I don't. What I like is I like taking a template and then tweaking it. So honestly, what I did is I found a list the other day and it was like a list of questions to ask in a persona interview. So I'm going to go and do some first person research. I'm going to go interview customers and I have a good idea. So I'm doing qualitative. I dove into like the top one deals of the last year. This is the, I'm building, like who is the persona? Who are we successful with? And as I looked at the questions, I was like, okay, that is a great question. I've asked this one 15 times. That's a terrible question, right? <laughs> so it's like the experience helps you ferret out the template, but those templates are such a great place to start. So that's if, you know, if things are going really, really well, I'll have by the end of the quarter, solidly documented personas, ideal customer profiles, segments, and a 2022 marketing plan to go and, and execute across different channels. Nice. I think that's a good deliverable, right? And I think it's reasonable. It's a good, you know, my first 30, 60, 90, I'm going to ramp up. You've got a new industry that you're learning. You're doing that first person research, qualitative as well, kind of diving into those deals and you're going to come up with a deliverable. So I think those out there listening, you can't bite off more than you, you know what I mean? Don't bite off too much. That's the scary position to be in as well. Yeah. In my 30, 60, 90 day plan, it has PR, AR, <laughs> website, you know, all the funnel, like there's a ton of stuff on there. And I hope to get to more than that. This is kind of like two or three weeks in, this is the first thing that surfaced as a big need that would help a lot of people. So maybe that's some good advice for like, if you are the first product marketer, what do you go do? And I think there's kind of two things you got to wrap your head on. Like one is you can't get caught on, like everyone will have a million requests. And if you just block and tackle those, you will not have any plan for the future. You won't be strategic. But you also don't want to just like not deliver anything for 60 days while you figure out your strategy. Right. <laughs> so for me, I looked at this and I was like, I can deliver personas really quickly. We can just knock that out. So you kind of want to look for those quick wins yeah. while you're also developing and learning and doing a long-term strategy. Yeah. Well, you've been in some really fun roles, definitely some really cool companies in your career. What are some of those thrills and chills? Like, what are some of those highs and lows of your product marketing career? The thrills and chills. So one is a, so I would definitely say hyper growth. When you go to a company and they double, triple, quadruple in size, 
that's a thrill in and of itself. When you go from being the new person to being the senior person in a year, like that's a thrill. And then obviously like being able to go public with two companies, that's a huge thrill. I would say one thing that I experienced in my career that is a thrill and a chill in, in one would be at Twilio, I got to ship a lot of products. So when I showed up, I was kind of like the function I served on the team was to get all the new products. And then I, I did the go-to-market plans for all of them. So I just launched like a crap ton of products in my you know time at Twilio. And when I left, so what happened at Twilio is at that time, at that stage of the company, whenever they should ship the new product, they'd make a poster. And everybody who helped ship that product would sign the poster. Oh, nice. And then they hung them all up in the HQ. And then my last day in the office at Twilio, I was standing in that hallway and I looked around at all the posters and I realized that at that time, my name was probably on more posters than anybody else. Wow. And some of it is because Twilio also worked in small teams. So it wasn't likely for one team to actually do multiple launches. What I kind of did there was kind of unique where I just did a whole bunch of launches, but that was a huge thrill to get to do all that. And then it's also a chill. And the reason why is because if you don't stick to one product, it becomes really hard to get traction. Yeah. And so a lesson I learned out of my time at Twilio was I was kind of ADD and I was like, build something and hand it off and build something and hand it off. And I realized that like, if you stick things out a little bit longer, there's some benefits to being able to do that. It's a good one, man. I haven't, uh, that one's definitely unique to the show. Whenever you think about that time, I, I just want to dive into that chill about like mm -hmm. with that traction, do you think, so would you advocate focusing, like being over your core products and only those core products? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So one way I would articulate this is if you have the opportunity and let's say you are an IC PMM and you're at a growing company, especially if you're in there. So this happened to me at GitLab, right? I'm the first person on the team. There's nobody else in product marketing. As we grow, everyone needs to specialize. I got to pick what I was in charge of. See. And so if you kind of have that opportunity, or even as you just think of what product you're in charge of, if you are on the revenue generating cash cow products, you are going to get a lot of resources. Like your campaigns are going to go off easy. When you got to go ping the data team and ask them for data research, they're going to hand yours back right yeah, away. That's right. <laughs> Whereas, you know, the poor stuff like me, I had like the low revenue product and I was like, hey, can I get data on my customers? And, and they're like, yeah, we'll get back to you next month. So that's kind of part of the advice. It's like, if you can be in the core, on the core products, they're going to get more attention, right? And then, yeah, maybe there's a little bit to, if you give things enough time that you can prove more value rather than kind of like hopping to all the next thing. Got it. I yeah. like it. Well, cool. Well, William, thanks again for coming on, man. Like I had an absolute blast. I can't believe we're already at time. Uh, I went by so fast. So thanks again for sharing your experience. I mean, Twilio, GitLab, now Asano. So I'm really excited to see what happens with Asano. Is this going to be number three IPO for you? So good luck. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was completely my pleasure. And now a quick word from our partners at Clue. Stay in the know about your competitive landscape with Clue. Share real-time insights across your organization with Clue's dynamic battle cards delivered everywhere your sales reps live through integrations with Salesforce, Slack, 
Highspot, and many more. With Clue, you'll never let your sales team be blindsided by competitors again. Crush your competition with Clue. And we'll see you next Thursday. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe. And if you have any feedback on our episodes, things you liked, things you want to hear, anything else, please email us at podcasts at sharebird.com. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I look forward to seeing you next week.